Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, all right, we're live. Um, or we are, uh, we've pressed the record button. Yeah, we're, is, uh, we're live recording. Live recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so welcome, everybody. I have here with me Gavin Golden, who is the, you're the lead character artist at Insomniac still? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I was super glad when you accepted the invite. Uh, the He-Man stuff was really cool to see. And um, what I want to do today in this is talk a little bit about uh, your job help people understand, you know, what that actually means and entails and, and how you got there and all of that. And then I, I also really want to talk about kind of, you know, your style and how you develop that as well. I think that's a really big part of this. So why don't we start with, um, you know, your lead character artist? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, as a lead character artist, I'm mostly looking over my, uh, my team, uh, helping with uh, career growth, giving them direction, um, helping them develop their, their skills and really making it more about, I guess I've gone from being a character artist earlier on, which is creating more uh, production art to now helping a lot of people create uh, production art. And uh, I kind of help set the, uh, the, the pace and tone for them as well. Mm. One of my students was, um, was offered the lead character artist over at uh, Funcom and declined it. Really? Yeah. Uh, because he wanted to create more art. Mm -hmm. So what makes, you, you know, what made this like a really good choice for you? Well, for me, I think I've always been a, uh, a support class, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, one of my friends, John Jones, uh, had the analogy years ago when team fortress was still, uh, really big mm -hmm. that, uh, I'm the medic to your heavy. Right. So <laughs> I'm, awesome. uh, I'm, I've just naturally been uh, attracted to like helping people out and uh, trying to be like a force multiplier rather than uh, creating 24 seven. Mm, I got it. That makes a lot of sense. So what does it take for you to be a, a lead? Like how does that trajectory work in the industry? Um, you know, today. Mm -hmm. So mine was a bit uh, different. I think normally you would go, you know, like associate artist, regular artist, or, you know, staff level artist, mm -hmm. uh, senior, then either lead or principal. And lead and principal would be the difference between principal is, uh, you know, I guess the, the rock star, so to speak. So they're the ones that are setting the standards for the team. They're discovering new technologies and, and things like that. Whereas lead is more uh, team management and uh, growth and, and, uh, and stuff. So you kind of can go down two paths that way. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I basically went artist. And then I was artist for uh, like eight years or so. And now mm -hmm. I've been a lead for, I think, seven, right? So I kind of just one day got promoted <laughs> to it. So uh, yeah, I became like a lead in my last place. And um, it was more of a I guess what they call like a battlefield promotion, you know, like you're mm -hmm. doing the job. Uh, there's the vacancy. So they, they put you into the position and yeah. I've been that way ever since pretty much. What, why, why'd they give you the job? Why do you think? Uh, well, I mean, a lot of it was uh, at the time, you know, you're kind of, I was just doing lead uh, related responsibilities right so taking initiative Helping people out and yeah taking initiative on like solving some problems mm. getting like different teams together to uh like you know work on new features or kind of building out prototypes and things like that and helping out the uh, the rest of the team yeah. setting up like outsourcing pipelines and stuff so uh, i was already kind of i just kind of started doing it and uh I, I guess they noticed and you know gave me the uh gave me the job that's awesome that is awesome. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's kind of, I mean, what I hear you saying, and this is kind of interesting for me as a, um, as somebody who runs a school, because mm -hmm. I'm kind of a lead 
too. Like mm-hmm. my main job is actually training my students. I'm their lead. Mm-hmm. That's the way we see it. Um, and uh, so it's not necessarily that you trained for some specific in some specific way and that you had some specific ability. It was just, this is just who you are. This just happened because you were basically fulfilling that role anyways. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of a natural giver. Yeah. um, Force multiplier. I love that phrase. Mm -hmm. And, and then they saw it and and it went from there. Yeah. I mean, since then I've had um, actual management training, like leadership training and stuff through, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, through both jobs. I was at, I'm at Insomniac now. Mm -hmm. I was at uh, Irrational before this. Yeah. And uh, at both places, after getting the the title, I, I've been given uh, training, but there was never like a a class that I took beforehand or anything like that. It just kind of uh, developed, you know, now it's hopefully getting refined through those, uh, you know, different lessons. Yeah. What, um, talk to me about the management side of this. Uh, it's something I've been exploring lately because as creatives in the industry we do i I love love how you kind of broke it down we have these three tracks there's the artist there's the lead and then there's the principal and the principal's Mm -hmm. you know going out there and discovering and trying to find new things the lead is managing and helping organize things and um and helping people be their best and then there's the artists who are usually just on that learning curve and you know struggling and achieving and and things of that nature Mm um so uh, in terms of management, can you talk to me a little bit about what that, what that means? Like, are we talking about spreadsheets and keeping track of people's schedules? Are we managing? Um, and in fact, maybe I should ask it this, uh, how do you lead creatives? Yeah. Uh, that, that's an interesting question because really it's, it's not like, uh, it's not like you're, I'm trying to say it in a non non non-offensive way I know. It's, not, it's not like you're a middle manager you know what i mean it's not like it's a an office job you know what i yeah. mean and like you hang up the you hang up the stylus and that's it forever you know so it's kind of like a uh, a mix between you know uh still staying informed staying you know um able to like make art and things like that but then you're also focusing more on uh you know, how do you help out other people? How do you grow the team? Be kind of becoming more like company focused mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but because I'm at heart, I'm a, uh, uh, I guess a nerd, right? So uh, figuring out like times and like budgets and stuff like that actually interests me. You know, I think it's like the same, you know, interest I had in like simulation games and stuff when I was a kid, right? So right. you kind of, it's kind of like a resource management game, right? Um, so through that, I end up doing um, a lot of the scheduling and like budgeting and stuff for the team, trying to get away from that a little bit um, uh, to work more with uh, producers because mm-hmm. it can become like a big uh, time sink, um, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so for for a lead, at least for, for what I do, it would be a mix of, you know, you're setting the broad stroke schedule for the team. Uh, I try to give some ownership within that throughout the team so that they can, you can work more freely within this block of time, right? So if you spend more time sculpting than the other person, that's totally fine as long as the the end goals are met. Mm -hmm. Um, Then looking at uh, career trajectories, trying to get people uh, to go uh, grow, you know, Um, we'll have a range of different artists, right? So you know, trying to help them see what the next step is, what they have to do to get there and kind of helping them out along the way. Um, then a big chunk is working with um, directors and other departments to uh, solve problems on the games, um, finding like, like, you know, fielding like requests and setting priorities and uh, things like that. Got it. Yeah. What do you... What do artists misunderstand, new artists misunderstand about the job of being a game artist? Oh, wow. Uh, I think, hmm, I would say that it's the idea that you go to work, you put on your headphones, you sculpt all day, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, eight hours hits, you walk home and that's it. Um, there's definitely a lot of, back and forth there's a lot of 
um, I would say interactions, you know, with like mm -hmm. other, other departments, other teams, uh, you know, having to maybe work faster to get like blockouts to a designer or something like that. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely like that compromise. So it's not really like you get to go work in your, your dark corner <laughs> all day. Right. Right. And, uh, I kind of want to keep that thread going. So there's a question that's just at the, out of the, out of my, uh, box here in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think um, like you have a unique perspective leading artists and helping mm -hmm. them be their best. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the th ways that they mistake, uh, one of the mistakes they make is, or misunderstandings they have is that, um, is that they have to, uh, that they're just going to go and sculpt, sculpt, sculpt. So they're essentially not in a, you know, they're not building their soft skills per mm -hmm. se. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and, and so I get that, you know, it's like, you got to learn how to communicate. You got to learn how to work. Um, so how does that translate into uh, dealing with skill? Because um, when we're in this industry, this industry, I mean, it changes like mm -hmm. kind of every two to four years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I remember specifically what is it, just like four years ago, substance came in mm -hmm. It's longer than that, but I don't want to age myself too much. Uh, <laughs> and uh, substance came in and totally changed some of the things that you know, we used to train people to do in ZBrush mm -hmm. and, you know, that's not so long ago. Um, mm -hmm. And they say nowadays that the half-life of a skill is five years, which means the skill lives for 10 years. And I, you know, I've been in this industry for 15 and, you know, it's, we've seen at least three changeovers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so how does, how does leading artists work with the fact that, you know, skills are changing so fast? How do you manage that? And, mm -hmm different people's focus and predilection because it's some people just decide to leave the industry too because mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, th there's a, a few things. So I'll be looking at uh, future tech. Uh, so we could be like years out on something uh, and I'll be uh, obviously I can't really get into it, but like mm -hmm. I'll be like researching that and trying to uh, plan out, you know, when we could start testing that out, maybe on our own, something smaller, and kind of like working it into our pipeline if it's successful. Um, and then usually that'll be, um, I'll be giving like opportunities throughout the team to work on things like that or work on something that's out of their uh, usual wheelhouse, right? So something that's a bit more challenging. Either it's a bigger character, maybe they don't do a lot of hard surface and this one's hard surface. Maybe they don't do hair very often and this is hair and we kind of pad out the schedule so they get more time to kind of develop those skills and like grow as a as an artist um and then you know going back to like the soft skills uh kind of giving someone ownership over a feature or a character within a feature that they can work with the other departments more independently mm -hmm. uh, and start kind of building rapport and getting their uh, feet wet with that kind of that kind of thing as well um yeah so yeah Hopefully that answers your, your question. Yeah. Um, giving them time mm -hmm. to adapt and to, you know, and challenging them. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then are they expected to kind of be learning some of the skill on their own outside the regular hours? Uh, not really. No. I mean, I try to set, <laughs> I think when, when I was starting, uh, I went really, really hard, right? Like, I mean, you know, working, I don't know, 16 hours a day, every day, going home, uh, kind of developing my portfolio and trying to get, you know, get better, right? Um, kind of like either getting out of like my current job or like trying to just like learn quicker because I didn't feel like I was getting it uh, mm -hmm. through like natural means. Right. But it's not something I would necessarily recommend going like that hard. Uh, having like personal projects and stuff is cool, but I think uh, looking back on it, I probably, I probably went crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I mean, for the actual work, like I'm trying to, I'll try to like work it into our uh, schedule or like a, a, a plan over like a few months to mm -hmm. give people those opportunities naturally so that they don't have to, you don't have to go home and, 
and learn like the next crazy substance thing, right? Like right. Um, I think we can find opportunities at work to to try and get that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I would never discourage people from going home and and doing stuff if they love it. But uh, you know, I'm always trying to find find things that people want to learn or what they should learn and uh, giving, you know, the opportunity naturally so then they can have a, a healthy life and, you mm -hmm. know, they uh, learn stuff on the job and make, uh, make cool stuff. That's awesome. So um, what do you say to people who are looking at the game industry? They're looking at all the changes um, and they're scared, you know, do I go into this? You know, mm -hmm. or do I listen to my parents and I'm, you know, go do something else? And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of uh, reactions from, you know, different stakeholders in, in uh, when somebody or a student decides that they're going to be a, a game artist or they want to do that. You know, mm -hmm. not a lot of the time is it fully supportive. Mm -hmm. um, so people that make this decision, they have to deal with a lot of stuff. They have to deal with their skill. They have to deal with their support, you know, all of that stuff. So uh, it takes usually a fairly determined person mm -hmm. um, to get through that. What do you say to them um, if they're worried about this industry? Because you've achieved, you know, a great deal of success. You've gone hard in it mm -hmm. um, and you've been in it for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, how long about, um, did I hear 14 uh, years? Yeah. Like 15 or 16. Yeah. Uh, when I started my, like my first actual job was doing, uh, uh, UI and it was making, um, like pixel art on old mobile phones, you know, mm -hmm. like 15 years ago. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, <laughs> I've kind of changed, I suppose, but, uh, but this is like what I always wanted to do. It was just kind of, that's the first job I landed, you know? Yeah. Um, so for people wanting to get into the industry, I mean, it's hard, but I would be, I would be a hypocrite if I said like, don't believe in yourself. You know what I mean? Um, because when I started, there was no, you know, there was no track, like there were barely any colleges, you know, uh, yeah. I ended up going to, uh, I guess to give you some context, I ended up going to uh, visual effects school uh, many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. and uh, ended up dropping out because I thought I was, I was hot shit. Like I was really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided to pack everything up into a bag and get on a train and move across the country. Right. Cause I would land in, I would land in Vancouver. Um, I'm Canadian by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, I would land in Vancouver and I would immediately get a job. Right. Like I would just roll into like EA Canada and they'd be happy. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, I was very, very wrong and all that. Um, but I still stuck like believing in myself. Like I kind of put myself in this position. I guess it's something that you do when you're younger. I don't know. Um, but I kind of put myself in this position. That's like, I have to succeed. You know, it's like, if I don't succeed, then there's, I have no backup plan right now, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what drove a lot of you know, I'm working all the time. I'm developing all the time. I'm, you know, trying to make like connections. I'm trying to get to know people. I'm trying to like find out more about the industry in Vancouver. Uh, I'm just trying to like build as much as I can. I was taking like the, you know, like the pixel art jobs and stuff to try mm -hmm. and like build up a, a, you know, a resume, right? Like some like work experience. Right. And um, yeah, I just never, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have an exit strategy, right? It's just, like I had to do it. And uh, I knew I wanted to do it, so I kind of, I kind of stuck with it, right, and didn't really give myself an option. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to people because it's kind of uh, an extreme move, um, and a little cocky, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, you know, if you want to get into the industry, you have to take it seriously. You know, I, I think a, a mistake that people make is that if they they take the course, right and they do really good, then they'll get a job. But like, that's not really how it works, right? Like mm -hmm. you have to stick with it. Like you have to be dedicated and you have to do those things if you really want it, right? Like it's not just, hey, I like games. It's like you have to be really into the idea of being a production artist and like growing and moving along with the industry and putting yourself up against, you know, people that are doing it professionally, right? And being right. honest about developing and becoming that good. What, um, 
what do you like about being a production artist? Specifically uh, character. What, what, what drew you to that? I mean, I've always liked, uh, I mean, I, I would say I always liked character art, but I mean, mm-hmm. obviously when, uh, I mean, we're probably about the same age, but when I was a kid, there was no character art. You know what I mean? I was drawing like uh, Doom fan art or like He-Man stuff or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I've always drawn monsters or, you know, big muscly dudes beating up monsters and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of something I've always been into and it just, I've always liked games and just naturally became a thing without me realizing it was a job, you know, at the time. Um, for characters in particular, um, I think I just like the, you know, the stories they tell. Um, I like being able to, you know, create the, the bad guy or like create the, you know, the good guy or an NPC that does this thing in in the world and kind of, you know, helps you along your way. Uh, Mm -hmm. being an actual, uh, like my actual job. I like the collaboration. I, I love the idea of making games. I love making interactive art, you know, and uh, being able to like work with other people and like get the best possible thing. It kind of opens your, your mind, you know, it opens up like different perspectives and kind of gives you a chance to make something bigger than you would on your own. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Did your family support you when you decided to do this? No, not at all. How'd you handle that? (laughs) Uh, it's a, uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I don't really have like a super close uh, relationship with my mm. family. Mm. So uh, again, it's another one of those things that was just like, I mean, in Canada, we kind of get like subsidized loans and stuff like that. So it's a mm. bit easier. Right. Um, I ended up getting a bunch of, um, again, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big nerd and was in high school. So I got to, uh, something like scholarships and like bursaries and stuff like that. So right. basically put myself through, uh, the one year of school that I did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, when I moved across the country, it was like all or nothing, right? Like it didn't matter to me, uh, if they were supportive or not. Yeah. So like, I knew I wanted to do it and, uh, it worked out, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I kind of had to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, but if you don't mind, I want to unpack, unpack a little bit because that determination I have found is kind of one of the key things that I, mm-hmm. um, I kind of try to um, support in my students. Mm-hmm. And I find most of my students that are quite successful, uh, that's, that's a big trait is that determination. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we all have our dark moments, right? So, mm-hmm. did, you, you know, how, how did you work through the doubt? You know, or or maybe even what gave you, you know, the confidence? Yeah, I think a lot of it was blind confidence. Because, like, looking yeah. back on it now, it's like there's no way I would do that right now. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've moved across the, the country a few times, but it's right. always been with a job, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. there's always something waiting for me on the other side. And I've never – I can't imagine myself in my, uh, my 30s, you know, uh, doing a, a free fall and just – I don't know. I don't know anybody there. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'll be there in five days and we'll see what happens. You know, Uh, I I don't think I could ever have the just blind self-confidence to do that. And what's ironic is that I'm not like a confident person, right? Like I'm not a, uh, an extroverted person or having Mm -hmm. some kind of like air about me. I don't think so. Uh, it's, I think a lot of it is just like, you know, youth and and confidence in spite you know it's like a a mix of of those things um <laughs> yeah so i i think i i think i just kind of shut out anything that was like a doubt or like not being able to do it it's like just focusing on how do i do it like how do i make this work um like what do i have to do you know um and uh focusing more on i guess focusing more on the solution than the uh the uh the problem you know um, yeah, it never really entered my mind of that it not of it of the worry, you know, because I, I I didn't have a an option, you know. I love that word spite because it's almost like you're you're like I'm going to do this, and I don't yeah. care what the universe has to say, and I'm I'm going to fight and punish the universe. <laughs> that's that's pretty much what I did because I mean at the where I'm from, uh, like I I grew up in uh, uh, Nova Scotia, 
mm-hmm. um, which for anybody that's unfamiliar is like by uh, Maine. It's by like New England, mm-hmm. uh, but on the Canadian side. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, at the time, uh, early 2000s, there's no, again, there's nothing, there's no resource for you to go to. You know what I mean? There was no like, oh, that's what a game artist is, right? So uh, yeah, like there was no info and there was no studios. Like I think the closest studio would have been Ubisoft in Montreal. And that was right. like, you know, three states over, right? So you're kind of in the middle of, of nowhere, right? So uh, a lot of it was spikes. A lot of it was like, nobody knows what it is. So people are saying you can't do it, you know? Uh, then there's the coming from like a, you know, working class family and being an artist, right? Like being the only artist in the family is a kind of, you're putting yourself in this like black sheep <laughs> situation, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just like the, the odds and the unknown, right? So like, you kind of have to, you know, go with spite. Like you kind of have to spit in the face of, you know, the universe, I suppose. I uh, try that. to uh, make it work. You know, I, if I tell people what I do today, they still don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, 14 years ago. You, you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's nothing right. Like you would, uh, you'd go through like a, maybe a fine art track or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was like, this is when I think like Pixar was getting big. Right. Yeah, so yeah. there was like animation classes you could take, which is mm-hmm. kind of what I ended up doing. Right. Um, but I mean, I wasn't an animator, you know, like there was no like sculpting or whatever. Right. And like for game art, it would have been, man, my, my first 3d job was like quake engine. So it would have been, you know, like pretty, pretty basic. It still would have been, yeah, it would have been like programmer art still. Right. So mm-hmm. there's no real knowledge. Like there's no real industry for that yet, you know? So, uh, yeah, you're kind of just like walking into the, uh, the void, so to speak. Well, what do you think are the necessary skills for a character artist? And you're a lead, so I assume you you do you have a hand in some of the hiring, I imagine, right? Yeah, I'm the hiring manager as oh, well. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there you yeah. go. So uh, what what do you, what do you look for? What are and when and in our school we talk um, this is a big focus of ours. So the way I usually phrase it to the students is we we look for the hiring triggers. Mm-hmm. And because those those things evolve, so sometimes anatomy is a hiring trigger. Sometimes it's not, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to be in a sports game at EA, that's not the big trigger, um, you know, because they maybe are dealing with scan data and something else, and they mm-hmm. need somebody for clothing and and to use, you know, to move the sliders around. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, what what do you find uh, are the big hiring triggers, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a few things. Um, when I hire people, I'm looking for uh, potential, right? Mm-hmm. And like, how do you, how do you fit into the team uh, skill-wise? And what would we do to like grow you within our our little group, right? Um, and through that, I'm looking at, like you're saying, like anatomy is key, right? Um, uh, fold work, uh, material reads, material understanding, uh, we kind of were skewing more towards realism. So kind of a, a bent to that is preferable. Um, but then uh, presentation is a big one. And like, that's something that a lot of students lack uh, is like your, the eye, you know, like the posing, the lighting, like how you present your work to the audience, like how you've kind of curated your, your portfolio to be easily consumed. Right. Uh, so I think like that kind of, you know, is the, if you have the, uh, like a, a pyramid, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the, the top one for me. And then you have mm-hmm. like the fundamentals of, you know, anatomy and uh, uh, fold work and material, uh, material understanding, I suppose. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. Um, in fact, I have never heard the word fold work and I am in love with that word. I'm a, I hunt words like that. There you go. <laughs> you know, because that's like, you can tell somebody, look, you're going to be judged on your fold work. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Right? And if we look at some of your characters, like if we were to look at your one um, uh, Jubilee mm-hmm. fold work. Right. I get it. It makes sense. Right. Um, so yeah. You don't, yeah. So, oh, and the kind of, I mean, not to use my own work as an example, because I'm not, I'm definitely not 
the best artists uh, and definitely not even the one on my team, but uh, like kind of understanding different materials. So even like on her having like a, uh, like a leather jacket or like a latex, uh, you know, bodysuit or whatever, right? Like there's different folds, like there's different folds, there's different specular highlights, there's different materials that you can notice at a glance, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So having that, not having everything made out of the same, uh, you know, same material. And not just using substance for that, but actually looking for that in terms of the behavior, the folds, mm -hmm. things like that. So that makes sense because that, and that goes with what I was going to ask you next, which is, you know, what are the triggers within fold work that makes sense to you? So it sounds like one of the things in terms of fold work is, is you're looking for whether or not somebody's properly um, differentiated denim, denim versus mm -hmm. latex versus leather versus yeah. you know, something else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there's like the, uh, 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 this isn't the throw shade on somebody, but there's, uh, you know, like the Burn Hogarth books. Right there's like the dynamic wrinkles and like dynamic anatomy and stuff. Yeah. And like, that is the, that's what I see people doing wrong is basically you're giving everything this crazy dynamic. Everything is wrinkly. You know what I mean? No matter what it is. Right. So if it's like, if it's a uh, thick leather, it's got a ton of wrinkles. If it's uh, a dress shirt, ton of wrinkles. Right. And it's like, it's, I understand that it's fun to, uh, you know, go into ZBrush add all those like, cool details and stuff but sometimes it's better to kind of you know take your foot off the gas a bit and you know understand that some things have more you know more uh uh slack some things are like more you know stiff and you don't really get like uh the same kind of um you know response from uh the drapery that you'd have there i love that more rest areas mm -hmm. everything's like spandex yeah exactly yeah yeah, that's a big thing that um, we focus on when we get to Marvelous Designer is just you have to establish proper width mm -hmm. in the um, in the pattern so that things actually drape as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, sear sucker onto somebody. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and that's the problem uh, a lot of people um, have with Bern uh, Hogarth's mm -hmm. uh, anatomy, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like there's no skin. Yeah, exactly, right? And I mean, that, that's I, kind I'd of what to, I mean. Yeah, I'd love well, to be that fit, but... Yes, yeah, like that's kind of what I mean. It's like the, you know, obviously awesome artists that pretty much everybody's looked at in their their life. But uh, it, it's uh, having like understanding that like they're examples of an extreme, right? So, you know, with the anatomy, it's like the people have like crazy muscles on their fingers and no fat to to block uh, that shading, right? Right. Uh, and then with like the fabric, it's like everything is a everything's turned up to like 11, you know what I mean? Just to, mm -hmm. uh, just to show an example of how, you know, motion would work or something like that. So that makes a lot of sense. I get that. Um, so in terms of anatomy, what are some of the triggers that you look for and what are some of the mistakes that you see people make? Uh, a lot of the mis well, I would say that probably the most common mistake is facial anatomy. So, uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of, um, Hmm. like no real uh like resting expression and stuff in the face so you'd have the you know like wide eyes uh like you know perfectly straight lips like no real like fat or like no real like planes um mm -hmm. that you can see in the face uh with body anatomy a lot of it is um a lot of it's like a hiding hmm, like hiding like a mis I, I guess like it's my style, quote unquote, like using that to kind of hide an understanding of anatomy, right? So you'll end up doing these elongated limbs or like crazy, like, like musculature or something to try and make it uh, your style, but you're hiding, you're hiding like, I guess the truth in a way, like it's hard as a, a hiring manager to look at that and be like, oh, well, you understand human anatomy when it's like a portfolio of creatures with like, you know, 10 super long arms and, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like crazy inhuman, non-realistic, uh, uh, you know, structure like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it is generally hiding, hiding, uh, weak spots or trying to anyway through that. So it sounds like the triggers that you look for, um, are face. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that they got 
they understand the face to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're looking for, you know, some kind of clear presentation on, on the body to help mm-hmm. understand where that is. Yeah. Um, when you get into um, the face, that is kind of a black hole of anatomy and shape and you know do you look for likenesses or does that not really bother you uh it doesn't really bother me i I think you can kind of tell if uh something is made well or or not and obviously like the likeness is like everybody will know who i mean whichever actor looks like right and it's like easy to like just look up uh photo reference and see how close you were to it so Mm -hmm. that is kind of cool to have a frame of reference like i know what you're shooting for you know um but it's not like a, a necessity. It's not like something you'd have to have like in the portfolio or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it's just understanding, like you're saying, I mean, it's a, an overly complex, probably the most complex part of the human body, right? So like you know, there's a lot of micro tweaking and small, uh, very subtle things that you do, you know, that make, uh, make it look human. And it's mm-hmm. very easy to overwork something and have it look, you know, cartoonish right or like uh like inhuman you know so it's you know finding that uh that balance is definitely uh definitely important for sure i got it um and then in terms of presentation Mm -hmm. what are some of the triggers how would you explain uh what a really good presentation in and and you know i couldn't agree with you more uh that this is the one this is probably for me the big thing that beginners not just students, but people who've been in the industry for a year or so, they just miss mm-hmm. um, because they might be focused on their skill, which mm-hmm. they perceive to be anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, so I want to be a character artist. I want to work hard. So I'm going to really study my anatomy. And then they, you know, 10 years later, they realize they're still studying anatomy. <laughs> so. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll never, you'll never really stop, you know? No, no. Yeah. I mean, I've been at it 27 years. I'm still, you know, mm-hmm. a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in terms of presentation, what do you look for? Um, what really sh- broadcasts to some to you that they're kind of still an amateur? Uh, so, for posing, it would be. Uh, I mean, I, ironically, I can see like some of mine are like A posed or T posed, but uh, like moving or using like a a bind pose as your presentation shot uh, is usually a big tell. You know, mm-hmm. so either you know arms out straight or arms at a 45. Mm-hmm. Um, so like not posing your character at all. And then with lighting uh, would be using either just default IBL scene lighting um, or trying to use uh, like really moody lighting, you know, like you'll get uh, a, like a purple, uh, purple fill light and a green backlight or something like that. Right. Like trying to go like super artsy with it you know, yeah. uh, usually just doesn't read well. Uh, so what does end up working is just very subtle posing that helps reflect the character. So either it's, you know, a, making like arms out to the side with some asymmetry, making a fist or like arms down, like in a tensed pose or something like that. Right. Like and, a Hawkeye sketch. Yeah. Like hog. Yeah. Something like this. So, I mean, even if it's like, it doesn't have to be crazy. Like you don't have to be an awesome uh, rigor or like an animator or something. It's, you know, you could do this in, uh, uh, is it a man? Like, yeah. Like transpose master. Right. Yeah. So like doing like transpose is fine. Uh, we could do uh mixamo, just like the free rigging tool. Oh, um, you use that? Yeah. I've done that before. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I used to use it for, uh, I guess like some unreal side projects that mm-hmm. I kind of putter with. And uh, yeah, I would use that a lot because I can't animate to save my life. So uh, it's kind of something I'd put to, uh, you know, get new walk cycles or something going on. Yeah, we um, actually are hiring an animation lead instructor. I actually ha- already hired him, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I can't do that to save my life. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's no, that, that is a completely different world that I'm not. Yeah, I'm not ready, for, which crazy because when I was in uh, school again, like I went to it for animation but it, it was all 2d at the time. Right. Mm, so mm. I can, uh, I we can are draw you age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I can draw you a nice flip book animation, but that's about it. Uh, it's <laughs> great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So just simple posing and then with lighting, uh, 
you know, even like a three point is fine. Um, but just something that doesn't obscure your character and complements it more, right? So yeah. uh, everything's visible. There's room for the shadows to play on the character. So you kind of get that depth and material read. And, uh, you know, adding like a nice kicker to kind of uh, balance out, give it some some volume, you know? Cool. Um, man, I, re- I really appreciate your insights and I'm learning uh, a lot from this. So thanks for sharing all that. And I, and I want to be respectful of your time because I know this is actually before your work day. Yeah, no worries. It's a um, good way to start the day. I think. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You're a giver, man. I love that. That's like me. It's just <laughs> love to give. Um, so the, I got like a couple more questions, but the next thing I really want to understand is software because mm-hmm. um, it changes a lot. It, it, I should, you know, for character, it, I think ZBrush is the one that kind of wiped everything else off the map and mm-hmm. restarted the whole process because before that it was like, like Wings 3D and Photoshop, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Dude, I was but, using Wings up until like five years ago. No way. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the unwrap of one of my favorite artists, uh, uh, Mario Uchi, mm. uh, is, uh, he's, I think he's an art director in London now, but, uh, uh, he, uh, he was ta- teaching me stuff like when I was like really, really young. He's like a guy that I looked up to and still do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he was telling me about wings and, uh, their unwrap tool. Like I was using their unwrap tool for years, years. I loved it. Wow. Yeah. It's my guilty, my guilty pleasure, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing Bay rate stuff when I was in school and I was like, mm-hmm. this is the future and i was working in nerbs and i'm like that is not the future that is not my future i don't know whose yeah. future that is it's not mm-hmm. mine mm-hmm. yeah uh, i was going to remember from... that like spiraloid uh, like the spiraloid uh, forms were yeah. great yeah. yeah he was one he was the he was a big inspiration for me getting into the into this and sharing actually because he was mm-hmm. one of the primary guys out there sharing yeah um, totally okay. like i mean with his like golem meshes and stuff mm-hmm. like breaking oh that down I mean, I don't know how legal it was at the time, but uh, oh, yeah, I mean, showing people on his, his own forum, you yeah. know, and uh, like all the people that like all the, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of the same way. Like all the people that used to go there that were big time modelers at like ILM and, and stuff like that. It's like, man, like I, I looked up to them like a, a lot, you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So what software do you use today? Uh, well, I mean, again, ZBrush is like the, the big one uh, that definitely... I mean, that just wiped out most modeling tools, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, we, that kind of started informing how we paint textures, right? So we went from ZBrush, you bake out in like X normal or something, and then you, you'd paint everything in Photoshop, but now you have substance, right? Um, uh, for like any of your texture painting uh, or like uh, Mari, uh, and like, you know, I guess Quixel as well. Um, but, uh, I guess for us, we would use, I mean, ZBrush, Maya, uh, Substance. And then there's like a lot of, um, supplement tools that it'll kind of change based on the artist. So mm-hmm. if there's like, uh, like Topogun, uh, some people use for retopology, uh, you could use like, you know, unwrap like UV unwrap or something like that, like a right. standalone uh, thing. You could use wings if you want. Uh, I'm sure there's still a build kicking around somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've had people use uh, uh, Modo. Uh, one of our guys uses Max instead of Maya. And, you know, as long as like the end product and is in Maya and it works fine, it's all mm-hmm. good. Yeah. What do you, what do you, when people are uh, rendering these things out, do you care if it's unreal, marmoset, ZBrush? Uh, as long as it's real time for games. Okay. Yeah. Like since we're, even though like the, the lines are blurring now, like a lot of film stuff and game stuff is kind of like butting up into each other. Totally. Um, so it's definitely not as different as it used to be. Um, but showing it in a real time renderer at least shows some level of understanding of real-time materials like how you'd build that to work with like real-time lighting which is more limited than than film or something so uh marmoset's totally fine i love marmoset uh uh if it's unreal that's cool too you would have to learn more shader building in unreal just because it's more i mean you know you have to kind of uh construct like all the the nodes and stuff yourself whereas 
Marmer says kind of like out of the box and just plug it in. Yeah. Um, is yeah. it an advantage for somebody to know Unreal? Because there is such an intellectual overhead you have to go through to get yourself an Unreal. Marmoset packs all that stuff up for you. Yeah. For us, not. I wouldn't say so. Uh, like for Marmoset, I think that's totally fine. Um, because we have, we have tech artists that, uh, you know, build our shaders and work on the, the, like the code side. Um, yeah. So you never really touch that kind of thing. Yeah. But in general, what I think is a good practice to have as any artist is understanding your, the stream, right? It's understanding like the work that somebody put in before it got to you uh, and how that affects you. And then understanding how your work affects the next person down, right? So kind of understanding, I guess the blast radius of your work, right? right. So, you know, understanding like what modeling uh, techniques work better for, riggers which will work better for animators right then understanding having like a technical understanding of how materials are made you don't necessarily have to be great at it yourself or make them yourself but understanding kind of what goes into it so you can at least speak the language of you know shader artist or material artist to kind of work together to to help you know help each other out right that's cool i get that um and then uh if there was one thing that you think um, somebody needs to focus on for character arts, you know, and I'm thinking somebody who's going for the junior character artist position, mm -hmm. you know, what's the one skill that they really need to lock down? And without that, um, they have zero chances. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to go back to saying presentation, you know, because like, there's a lot of... Even more than anatomy? I think so. Yeah, because there's things that are you can teach, we can teach anatomy, you know, uh, like if your anatomy is like a little weak, we yeah. can, we can kind of work you into becoming stronger at that. If the fold work is a little weak, we can give you more opportunities to do that. And right. like, as long as you show the potential, then we can kind of help guide you. Right. But if your presentation sucks, it tells me that you're either not invested in your own work. Um, you don't, have the eye like you haven't developed your your eye to see yeah. that's something's wrong yeah. right so it that's way harder to teach than teaching somebody like you know some how muscles work you know what i mean totally. uh, it doesn't mean that like the other things can't be can be bad right but like presentation is just so key like it, it's so informative you know that i don't think people understand how how it affects the perception of you as an artist you know that makes sense. So that's like the number one, um, because in hiring, you know, you take a risk on somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And I know from my own experience, if you hire the the wrong person, not that they're bad or anything, it's just they're a wrong fit, the wrong skill set. And, mm -hmm. you know, day one you start and they're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And you're like, um, that's your yeah. job. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. that's what you're here to do. <laughs> what do mm -hmm. we do now? You know, those are expensive mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I try to tell my students, you know, like this industry is hard and getting into the industry is hard, but there's a real reason. And it's because the wrong hire can cost, you know, tens of thousands mm -hmm. of, of dollars mm -hmm. and game studios aren't like rolling in the dough per se. I mean, unreal no. aside from this conversation, yeah, yeah. let's just ignore that 3 billion in profit. Yeah. I mean, and there's like thousands too, right? I, I yeah. think a, a misunderstanding is like, I, I apply to a job people will look at my work for 10 minutes, you know, and uh, they'll go through everything and mm. really thoroughly check what I do. But the reality is that, you know, for an opening that I have, I'll get up to like a thousand applicants, you know, and like somebody has to look through all of it. Right. Oh my God. Wait, you'll get up to a thousand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh God. Just a couple of years ago, it was, uh, people were telling me we get about 200. Yeah. No, I, yeah, man, we get everything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think the, uh, I've read like an article on it before, so I think I can say it, but, uh, we've had, it was a few years ago now, but we had 2,500 applicants for a job over like six months. Wow. Right. So, so but, but then it, it kind of breaks down, right? There's, yeah. it's not 2,500 qualified people, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, probably 60% of those aren't even relevant. Like they're not even in the ballpark at all. Uh, and then you'll have 
you know, maybe 30% will get there in a few years. And then a few percent is like, ah, maybe. And then 1% is interviewable, right? Uh, That's intense. Yeah. So because of that, that's why I think presentation matters because you only get the one impression, right? Like, so you were kind of flipping through hundreds of portfolios and if it doesn't immediately jump out and grab you, you're probably going to get passed on because nobody has time to dig through your, you know, your images to try and find one that's good. You know, if, if you didn't put it up front yourself. It makes sense. You know, it's not like, uh, I mean, 10 years ago, they would dig through life drawings Mm -hmm. and say, Oh, you have some potential. Mm -hmm. Um, and we went, Oh, it was more like 15 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now you have to show that presentation up front with all your, you know, picadillos, your mistakes, you know, cause mm-hmm. I think that's one of the problems that artists make is they're like, I'm, I'm not going to focus on presentation until I know my anatomy. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you don't do your presentation, right, they're not going to care what your anatomy is. Right. Exactly. That's great. So that's yeah. the first filter you use. Does somebody have presentation? Because that means they have an eye. And yeah. then once they, past that bar, the next thing that happens is, is you start looking at your other triggers, fold mm-hmm. work, anatomy, materials, mm-hmm. things like that. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Oh man, that's awesome, Gavin. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that number is intense. I mean, we talk a lot in the industry or in the school about there's no labor shortage at all, there's, no. but, but there is a talent shortage. And so that mm-hmm. 1% number is actually really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I've been seeing for, I mean, I've been hiring people for years, right? Like mm-hmm. it's pretty, pretty consistent. Uh, not everyone, not every opening will become like thousands, right? But right. definitely hundreds for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's still the, the 1%, you know? Well, Gavin, man, thank you so much. I'll let you get on with your day. I really appreciate you coming in and spending time with me. Cool. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great. We should talk more often. I love that. Right. <laughs> You're local. Well, you know, you ever come down to Laguna Beach, then we get really local. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Take care, my friend. All right, man. Take it easy. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.